0: I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October, called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us, in Bloom in Tulum. Go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T-U-L-U-M, com for all the details and complete your application. There's just dealing with yourself in that kind of way and and being able to
1: deal with other people at the same time and finding beauty in the place that you are because why else are you there? And so that was very much something that shaped the way that I think about the world, the way that I interact with the world.
0: You're listening to the Mindful Mama Podcast, episode number 192. Today, we're talking about how to take care of fear with Rebecca Wong. Welcome to the Mindful Mama Podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Woohoo! That's what we want, Right. Oh man, it is ever a learning lesson, my friend, ever, ever. There's so many different challenges and as they grow, a lot of things get a lot easier. That's the good news. And as you use skillful means, things do get easier, but man, there are still challenges. Whew, I can attest to the that. Welcome back. Welcome to the podcast. If you are new, welcome. If you are a returning listener, a special welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. I am so excited about today's conversation with Rebecca Wong. She's a relationship therapist, a mentor, and host of the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. And she created the Connectfulness Method to bypass the symptoms of disconnection and address the root cause, allowing you to work towards wholeness in all areas of your life. And we talk about what do we do with our fears, right? I get fears, I get anxieties. Do you? You know, and the thing is, they tend to creep up on us and leading to experiences of anxiety that kind of can keep us from being fully present. And so, Rebecca teaches us that our fear can be our friend and our teacher, and she shows us where to tend and heal. It's a very powerful conversation. So, I want you to listen for the following that our parents and our ancestors can pass down wounds, but also calluses and resilience. I love that. And that as we heal, we also heal backwards and forwards in generations. And we can tend, tend, and care for those, the fearful childhood version of ourselves. This is a very powerful episode. Rebecca shares some wonderful stories, some wonderful resources. I am so excited for you to dive into this episode. Um, And before we do, I just want to mention that if you are listening in real time, the Raising Good Humans Live event is happening now. And we still have some awesome interviews coming up, including one with um Dr. Laura Markham, a live interview where you can ask some questions. So you can learn more about that at raisinggoodhumansbook.com slash live. And it's been so fun to be having all these conversations and interviews. And I've been having a great time. It's such a great way to launch the book. So excited to be doing this we will be housing all archiving all of the the interviews will only be up for a little while so if you're in raising good humans live now watch them soon we're going to be archiving them putting them into the mindful parenting membership and um the membership is there's it's been such a fun adventure this fall getting started with the membership i love that we are really creating this like amazing community um, a comment that I got just the other day that I really that was uh that we put up after one of our live calls. Um, our member Jen said, I really resonated with Kat's comment on being supportive but not bossy. I love these calls and the community we've created. Thank you, Hunter, and all the mindful parents. We are in this journey together. Yes, I love that. I love that is so, so powerful, so cool. And then on another comment on one of our live calls danielle said i wanted to thank you for the coaching call last week on if and then i implemented the strategies this week and holy moly it's made a huge change in me and the in the behavior of my kids and she said she highly recommends it so the membership is powerful we only open our doors a few times a year so if the doors are open now uh, join. It's a really powerful to have a group with you that is doing this great work of changing uh, and healing patterns in ourselves and changing and healing the way we communicate with our kids and the, and, and doing this healing work over the course of time. It's, it's very, very powerful. So I hope that you will check out more about that there. You can learn more about it at, and see if we uh, have our doors open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. But yeah, okay, so enough about that. Those are the exciting things that are happening, but we have an exciting conversation to get to, a powerful healing conversation. So, oh, wait, one more thing. (laughs) If you're listening to this before the 200th episode, I would love to know what you've learned. Maybe it's gonna be from this episode and you can leave some information about that at mindfulmamamentor.com under the podcast tab. That's too many things, right? I'm telling you too many things. I'm so sorry. Let us just dive into the episode. I hope you'll get involved and we'll connect just beyond being a listener. I know that's amazing and huge and powerful, but we can connect even more personally. And it might be through the membership or Raising Good Humans Live or any of those ways. So so let's keep that connectfulness going. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Enough, enough. On to this episode with Rebecca Wong. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for asking. I am excited to have you here because I think I feel like I can officially call you sort of an old friend because we met feels like such a long time ago. I think that's uh, cuz it was <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. I think it might have been like five, six years ago. I think it was, and I was—I yeah. I think I wasn't even podcasting then. It was like a long, long time ago. It was before all that, yeah. It was before all the things. And you do amazing work, and you are—you know—I've already introduced you, obviously. But you're—you know—clinical social worker, and you do. I'm terrible at the like the official titles. Give me your official. Okay. So title. my, official, my <laughs> official title, what
1: I call myself is that I'm a relationship therapist yes. and a mentor and a podcaster and an event leader, a teacher. So there's probably a lot of too many things in there, which is why it gets so confusing because I don't really know what to call my work other than connectfulness, which is kind of what I base all of my work in. It's this evolving practice.
0: Yes and I love I love that term connectfulness and you're here to help talk to us about how to take care of fear and and what to do with fear but first i want to kind of dive in a little bit to connectfulness because sometimes i think you know like how we all tend to teach what we need to learn like the most <laughs> or have needed to learn the most in our lives so i'm wondering if that's also true with you did you feel like disconnected and uh, before you came to pulling this work together with connectfulness you just nailed me
1: yes <laughs> totally <laughs> this, this is my life's work and it's my life's work for a reason you know the more healed I become the more I can take other people on this journey along with me and and be a guide so that is very much kind of what this is all about it's the evolution of my own healing process my own life and I really believe part of what I feel really strongly about about connectfulness is that it's multi-generational. It's multi-generational healing. It's not just healing that's centered on ourselves, but it's healing that's centered on ourselves, on our communities, communities that begin in the tight circle of our relationships with our significant others and our families and the ripple effect that we have towards our children. And as we keep healing the future generation and teaching them and holding space for their resiliency and their growth, we're also... Healing backwards to our ancestors, and so it's this whole kind of circle of knowing that is connectfulness.
0: <laughs> so we, we heal, we heal backwards, we heal ourselves, yeah. and we heal forwards. For for sure, we heal yeah. forwards. Those patterns get passed on. You know, it's interesting. Like even they're seeing this just in research how. Like going back to fear, like patterns can be fast on like the i I forgot who it was, so i 'm you know i I apologize in advance for the the fact checkers out there but there was uh there was research on rats or mice, and they they introduce this like traumatic or fearful event into these rats lives and they they, they stopped playing yeah. so much in these lives and then what happened was that that same and they kind of looked at the genetic markers in the in the animals as well and then that that same thing was passed on to their offspring yeah. the fear was passed on in their offspring so it's
1: epigenetics so,
0: yeah So tell us what epigenetics is.
1: (laughs) So epigenetics is is like a decade-old science. It's not very long. And yet our, you know, I think a lot of our teachers outside of this Western culture have been teaching it for a long time in many ways. And the idea behind epigenetics is that we are affected by our ancestors. And so there are literally genetic changes that we can see these days. And um, there's, there's lots of different studies happening out there in the world. Rachel Yehuda is one of the biggest researchers on this. I recently had um, Mark Wollin, who writes a lot about inherited family trauma on my podcast. And we talked about this at length. So your listeners are also welcome to check out that episode where we, we dive into this. And Mark really geeks out on all the science. But what I really get from it is much like what you're talking about, these studies that they're doing on rice... Uh, not, can we edit that?
2: <laughs> not rice. Okay, we're keeping it
0: in because we like to keep it real. I want to let people laugh at our little mistakes okay. as well. So, so not rice, but rats and mice.
1: <laughs> My mind got a little ahead of me there. So they're studying these, the effects it has on these other animals. What they're seeing is the genetic markers are like 99% like humans. And there's one study that really made an impression on me where they're using the smell of cherry blossoms.
0: Did you hear about that one? No, no, no. Tell me.
1: So they they infuse the smell of cherry blossoms into a cage that's holding mice, the fathers and their and the male offspring, I, I believe it was. And or or did they just do it to the fathers? They might have just done it to the fathers. I'm sorry. I'm not great at this stuff either. And as they infuse the cherry blossom smell in, they shocked the mice, which is a cruel thing to do. It's it's nasty. But then what they saw generationally down the line is that.
0: So, okay, but the, they infuse the cherry blossom smell. They infuse the cherry blossom
1: smell. They, to the parent sh- to, the, to the parent, just to the male parent. And then they impregnate the female my, uh-huh. uh, mouse. They have the babies. They infuse the smell again to the babies, and they show the same kind of fear response that their fathers had shown, but they had, the babies had never been exposed to the, um, the, smell. To the shock. No, to the shock. Oh, They'd to the only shock. They've
0: been exposed oh, yeah, 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 to the yeah. smell.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: gosh. Yeah, yeah. We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat they're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat, no sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. Use code mindful at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code mindful at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com, use the code mindful for 30% off. We are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause, and the experts at MIDI Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA approved solutions midi care is covered by insurance and with midi health you can stop pushing through it all alone schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth you'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better you deserve to feel great book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. that's join joinmidi.com. I mean, that's fascinating to, yeah. to think about that. And, and and vice versa, sort of like, you're right, you know, that connectfulness, that interconnection, right? Uh, I was just listening to Jack Cornfield, who is an amazing um, mindfulness teacher who brought mindfulness to the West, and he was talking about some work where they're studying the genetic telomeres which help us in longevity, etc and how that they are actually um, affected by mindfulness practices but also affected by the environment around people like with, with, if yes. if other people are, are practicing peacefulness or they they're, they're in a super stressed environment, those things are literally affecting our our genes in ourselves. It's fascinating. What yeah. they're finding out now, but this is something we instinctively know that this interconnection is in, incredibly valuable. And of course, then we're seeing the, you know, the epidemic of of loneliness and how that's that's really hurting people enormously. So what? So so Rebecca, what were some of the things that that you had to work on healing through this connecting process? So you know, I think it's it's my story is a,
1: one of many stories, right? There's, everybody has their own story and we all are still learning what it is that we are healing in many ways. I thought initially that where my healing began was with my grandparents, uh, my, my paternal grandparents story, and that's that they're Holocaust survivors. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, there was a lot of stuff around that. And I thought that's where my healing was. And I've really dug into that for many years. It's probably why I started studying transgenerational trauma. It's, um, where that work came from. And then I started to notice as I kept maturing and growing in my own personal life, as we do, and as a therapist, that um, I was really drawn towards doing more relational work. And probably a lot of that, like couples work, was because I was seeing places where my old stuff and my husband's old stuff were intertwining and tangling and um, kind of like sandpaper, you know, like you, you have to deal with it. <laughs> and, and sandpaper is funny. I often talk about this with my clients because sometimes it can be really fine fine sandpaper and it can like polish things and finish them. Mm-hmm. And other times it can be really abrasive and it can really roughen things up.
0: Mm-hmm. I right? like that metaphor. That's yeah. really a, a very nuanced metaphor there, Rebecca. <laughs> um. but so, so sandpaper can be like that and relationships mm-hmm. can too, right?
1: Um, and yeah. so it's, it's really interesting just to kind of see the way we weather on each other
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and, and what does it expose underneath us and, and where are those old patterns. And, you know, it's what I've learned over the years now is that it's often the places where I have an old wound or a struggle from my childhood or a relational pattern from my family of origin, where I also struggle in my partnering and my parenting and in other facets of my life.
0: Mm, yeah. So these are superficial stuff fixes that we try to do. You know, like let's just say something different. Let's have a different response. And this, I'll, some of those superficial fixes can be helpful and great in a moment. But it really does, you know, behoove us to understand ourselves more deeply, develop that awareness in a in a more in a deeper and broader way, so that we can heal it in all the different areas.
1: Yes. And heal what we pass down, heal going backwards, heal the present moment and the present relationships have a ripple effect on all the people that we touch. We can do better.
0: Mm, Yes. Yes, we can. We can. I love this. I love this stuff. So let's, let's bring it over to fear. So thinking about how to kind of start the conversation about fear, I had a, a listener write to me and say, can you, can you talk about fear? How to deal with fear, how to take care of fear. And I, that's the language I use, take care of fear. But when, when people come to you and are fearful, what are some of the things that you do? What are some of the ways that you frame it to, to discuss it at all? You know, I
1: think that fear can be our friend and that Probably one of the hardest things about fear is getting still and quiet and giving ourselves the space to hear its wisdom and hear its guidance and understand what it's trying to protect us from. Mm. And then doing some deeper work around it. Because after we've gotten still and quiet, we can start to discern. And the discernment is the key piece here. If that message is for us, and our present situation, or if that message is something that we've been carrying that doesn't belong to us.
0: Yes, yes, so for instance, you know, when I was a little kid, you know, I was really scared of my father's temper and I, you know, I, I, yeah. st- I still have a vivid image of like when, when he was angry and like the the hallway and like hiding behind the door, you know, the whole thing, like it, 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 it's right there. Like I remember that very easily. Um, probably because my, that the biology of, uh, you know, my nervous system was like, you better understand what's going on here. So you can, sure. you know, the whole survival stress response. Right. Um, but that message main is not really so appropriate now for me on the other you know moving into the other end of life
1: yeah i would be curious where it shows up like and you don't have to say this here on the podcast but i'd be curious where that messaging continues to show up in your in your life where those fears connect because that would be information for you right that something is is waking up that that fearful child within you
0: now, do you think that like sort of, now, I wonder, do all sort of fears kind of mesh into one? Do they all kind of go back and just sort of trigger the old patterns that you had they're when you were a child? I think they're more specific. I think
1: I think there's a reason why certain fears get woken up.
0: Mm-hmm. Within
1: us. I think there's a reason. we have, um, We have wounds and we have sensitivities to certain things. Sometimes they go back many generations and we might not. Understand or know, and the less we know about our ancestry, right? Mm. Um, the less we may know about their stories, mm. and, and knowing and understanding their stories really helps us gain insight into ours. I mentioned Mark Willeen before, um, uh, mm. and, and he is a someone maybe you should have on here as well. He yeah. talks about inherited family trauma, and um, his book is It, it Doesn't It Didn't Start With You. And he talks about this way that we can get into this core languaging where we can start hearing the things that we're always saying throughout our life. Like one of mine is, I can't. I say that a lot. Like I'm trying to do something and I just, I can't. And, you know, it's gotten to the point where my husband's like, I can't hear you, say I can't anymore. And listen, now the kids are saying I can't. Like that's, it's one of those little things. And I don't really ever mean Mm -hmm. that I can't. It Mm -hmm. just means like I'm crossing over that threshold from where it feels impossible to where I can. (laughs) (laughs) But Mm. I'm crossing over that threshold right now and it instinctively comes out of me. Mm. And so for me, like I try to start looking backwards, like who in my family might have really believed they couldn't and why might they have believed that they couldn't and what might their stories have been? And then I start tracing back the ancestry of my family and start understanding more about my rootstock, about why I feel the way I do and seeing if I can open any space within my heart for more compassion to really understand what their stories might have been Mm -hmm. so that I can create more receptivity within me. Mm. And, you know, I think this is part of how I have to deal with fear. It's part of how many of us do. And I think that's probably a really heady description of it, of a very somatic and fine process that takes time. It's not very linear and it's ongoing.
0: Hmm. You know, this is interesting to me because I've dealt with fears and anxieties a lot of my life I've had nightmares for a long time in my life. Like ever since I was a child I've had nightmares and it's interesting at this point in my life like when my you know when I was younger and in my 20s like they were kind of like almost every night like I would have nightmares or you know, like half the nights or something and now it's just like Maybe one or two nights a week (laughs) (laughs)
1: Have you looked at those nightmares? Like, have you, have you spent time with them? And
0: I have, I mean, I have looked, I mean, a lot of them are like my, like, you know, my like hometown, like bully kid, like comes back to me in my nightmares. I can, they're very, some of them are very clear. Like I get worried about like, you know, it's it's the anxieties popping up, you know, and I can, and see those. And, but then sometimes I think like, you know, you're, you talk about like looking at the stories and looking at our ancestry. And sometimes I think like, you know, I, you know, I'm, I guess I question, so I just kind of want to yeah. push this to you. I, I question whether like kind of diving it, it is diving into those stories really helpful or does that pull us in? more into the fears or you know it like, in question. some ways like I, I think of it as like a habit energy like I know that my you know the, there is a habit there and I I know that these neural networks in my brain are are strong because my brain has practiced this habit you know for a yeah. long time and it's become less and less and less over my life but I can see like almost the physical biology of it and how the heart races and then how then that starts to maybe you know, trigger an old story and an old memory. You know what I mean, like. And I'm not sure that is tracing the stories and understanding the stories. Is that is that really helpful and necessary? I'm just curious. What do you What I do you think? Say that's that? an amazing
1: question. And you know, I think if you ask. 10 different people, you might get 25 different answers.
0: But <laughs>
1: <laughs> my belief is that it is it is meaningful and it it is helpful. And part of the reason I believe that is because I think that shadowy dark space, the penumbra, the space in between the where there's light and where there's darkness, where there's something that we can know and there's something that is unknown to us, which is kind of what is defined by fear. It's what we don't know. Mm-hmm. I think taking the time to settle into that space and remember that even there, even in the unknown, we can breathe and we can take the next step
2: mm-hmm.
1: even when we're scared.
0: You kind of like shining the light into that darkness. I think I yeah. thought of a lot of my painting as doing that. This is, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, this is all turning into my own therapy podcast. Sorry, listener. <laughs> but, you know, I think about, you know, like kind of the, the sort of exploration of those, of, of those different areas and, and, fears and and different uh thoughts and things like that but thinking about so let's the let's then take the assumption that it's helpful to understand the stories it's helpful to understand our own stories to kind of heal and kind of shine a light into those dark areas because then I, I always think of that idea of kind of walking with your shadow in front of you you know because then it's not so big and scary behind you it's not like this the unknown thing that's that's always behind you, then you, you understand like, oh, here are, here are my challenges, here are my fears, here are my difficulties. And you can, just like you said, fear can be our friend. Like you can kind of make friends with the, this part of you that's like trying to keep you safe. Right. So, yeah. so how, how would somebody maybe who is curious about understanding some of this stuff, how might they begin? Well, I think, you know,
1: one of the words you just used to describe this person is curious. And I think that that curiosity is a lot of how they begin. Mm -hmm. If they're curious, that curiosity can lead them into the space where they can spend a little bit more time here. They can spend a moment longer sitting in their fear before they run away from it, um, knowing that they still can get away from it, right? But that there's often this ability or privilege to be able to... um, to tolerate a little bit. So we, we sit in it and often we can do that best with a, with a trusted supporter, a trusted guide, somebody who can help us. Um, for many, that's therapy, or it could be a partnership or a trusted friend, but somebody who can just bear witness, who can listen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Even a dog sometimes. Mm-hmm. Could be a really great friend, <laughs> right? Um, but just some company so that you don't feel alone because in many cases, what most people fear the most is not feeling connected not feeling grounded. And so having somebody there as a witness, that's, there you go, you have a connection, even if all they're doing is holding you as you sit in what you feel.
0: Yeah, I think that might be true. That What we fear the most is not being connected. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that when we feel like, oh, I'm all alone in this, nobody else feels this way, this is just me, we we start to shoot that second arrow of what's wrong with me and it's only me, that into our pain, like that's when it it gets even worse. We're kind of spiraling downward, right?
1: Yes. And and what you're describing there are a lot of interjects, right? Those those are a lot of the things that we've taken in that aren't ours that we're carrying. It's, it's only me. What's wrong with me? Why is this not okay? That's all stuff we've been taught or absorbed from the world or that's been passed down epigenetically.
0: So, what are what are some of those things that we have? What are some of the things we have been taught that are getting in the way of us well, having like a just, yeah. like you just
1: described before? Yeah. When you're like, you know, it's it's only me that that thinks this way, or you know, what's wrong with me? Those kinds of thoughts,
0: like the That's kind of thing going. that it's not okay to have these feelings, basically yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, that a lot of us were given, you know, it's not okay to have these feelings. Who said it wasn't okay to have these feelings? Like we,
1: we can have all the feelings. Why are some feelings okay. And some feelings aren't, we need to be able to experience the full range, the rage, the anger, the love, the joy, you know, like all of it comes together and we don't get to, to have one without the other. We, we get to know the full scope of all the feelings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tell that to my, uh, Norwegian and English ancestors, right?
1: (laughs) So there you go. There's, there's the ancestry. (laughs)
0: That's it. (laughs) Right. But so it's, it's, that's not yours. Yeah. That's what you've been taught. Yeah. I think a lot of us have, a lot of us have that. I mean, I think that, you know, that might've been part of the survival thing, right? Is that so many of us had to kind of suck it up and do the next action to survive because things were, you know, that might have just been the way it was uh, at a certain point in history. And Um, back then
1: at that point in history, this is the deepening, right? This is where mm -hmm. you go back and you look at the history and you start to understand it. Because as you do that, you develop compassion. You're not just upset Mm -hmm. that this is the thought that you're having. You start understanding where it comes from.
0: Oh yeah, no. It's interesting. It, I think you're right about understanding the stories because when I look at, you know, like I mentioned, you know, and I've mentioned before, I was afraid of, you know, my father's rage and and but you know, I I've talked to my father about that and I know his story and how how afraid he was of his you know of his mother and his father's anger and you know I haven't talked to my grandparents about that but because I'm not pretty sure. My, my grandfather who's still alive would not be terribly open to talking about that, but, um, you know, there had to be, I, I mean, I know there was suffering going down the line, like there was, you know, this, because that was, you know, we're, we're sort of getting better in each generation, but, you know, to look at my, our parents and say, well, maybe there's some, some baggage here from them is not to not to at all blame them because they were doing the best they can and they had their own fears and yes. triggers and all of those things in their own lives that in, in many ways quite possibly were quite a lot worse, you know, not to put it all on a judgment scale, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, but we don't, you know, we don't know what they were dealing with and what's being passed down. And sometimes what's passed down is a resilience right mm-hmm. it's 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 something stronger that's more growthful and sometimes what's passed down is um is a wound or or an injury or some trauma and sometimes what's passed down is a callus mm. and calluses can kind of be in between right like if you if you tend to them if you take care of your calluses then they can be protective but if you let them grow too big and you don't pay attention to them they can rip off and then they expose another layer of sensitive skin, another layer of new growth, another layer of something that might hurt for a while and need some attention.
0: Yeah, I the the whatever that those feelings are, those intense feelings. Yeah, yeah. they're they're saying hello. There's information here. There's something to pay attention to. These are symptoms, just like like quite literally like the symptoms of a physical wound or saying, hello, there's something that you need to tend to and take care of. It's very much the same for the emotional wounds. I mean, to me, it's very pragmatic in a lot of ways.
1: Incredibly pragmatic. I I do this exercise quite often with my clients in the office. Is it okay if I tell you a little bit about it? Please do. Um, When you were talking about being afraid of your father, it reminded me a little bit of it. So maybe listeners can kind of use those two points, what I'm about to say, and and that story you've already shared, is kind of a, a reference point if they don't have one for themselves in their own life. But what I essentially ask my clients to do when we highlight a moment of deep fear or anxiety or something really stressful that's coming up for them that's triggering something older, is I ask them to close their eyes and put their feet on the floor, and to take a deep breath and to enter into that state. And sometimes it's like a five-year-old child that's hiding behind a closet or um, it's a seven-year-old who's on a swing who just, you know, watch something happen. And when they enter into that state and we can get connected to that little child version of themselves, then we can go and tend to that little child version of themselves. We can remove everything else that's happening and we can sit with and tend to that younger self and Mm -hmm. protect them, put them behind us Put us in front of them. Let them know that we've got this now. We're the adult functioning self and we're going to show up.
0: That's right? So, yeah. That's so beautiful. I love that. Tending to the child version of ourselves. I mean, yeah, that sounds like a beautiful practice to tend to tend to little Hunter hiding in <laughs> the door.
1: Yeah. <laughs> tend to her. And then if you tend to her, if, if you seem to notice that those moments of being triggered come up in your life and you tend to her in the moments where that triggering happens, then what kind of ripple effect does that, does that have on your life?
0: Mm, yeah. Because right? now you're, you're, yeah. You're practicing that for then the other moments. Yeah. You're practicing that kindness, self-kindness, rather than the mm-hmm. harshness that we may have, you know, inherited. For me, maybe because
1: I'm really stubborn, this was the way for me to get to self-kindness. Mm. You couldn't just go right
0: there. You had
1: I to. Couldn't just go right there. I, I needed meaning. Yeah. I needed, I needed understanding. I needed the depth, and so that's where this came from.
2: Oh,
0: that's beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing that exercise with us, Rebecca. You're really gorgeous. I've learned it from, and I've borrowed it and taken it from
1: many mentors. Uh, Terry Real, Clarissa Pincala, these are among them. But I've, I've, you know, reworked it maybe a little bit in my own ways. But I have definitely borrowed it from from those who I've been taught from.
0: So to recap, how to how to take care of our fears. We want to kind of start to understand our fear, start get curious, start spend a moment to kind of sit with it with, with a trusted guide for for company, maybe, you know, maybe take the time to go to that place and tend to that version of ourselves. Is there anything that we might want to do after that? I think there's,
1: there's two other, th- there may, well, there's maybe more, but there's at least two that come up for me. Mm-hmm. And one is to do the best that we can to let go of expectations that we can do this in a certain amount of time, just to, to give ourselves time to slow mm-hmm. down. And the other one is to take notes, to write stuff down, to let it come out of you kind of stream of consciousness, kind of in a dreamlike state, and then to look back on it with a more conscious mind. But by doing that, by taking the notes in a more dreamlike state, we're allowing ourselves to be more in an unconscious place. And then we can kind of sit with it and look with it when we're more conscious. When we're unconscious, we're removing more of the ego. Mm. It and takes time, though.
0: Yeah, yeah. But this is the process of shining a light. Of, this is the practice, yes. Yeah this is this is beautiful i love this and and so fear can be something that becomes i mean i guess you know i assume like like everything right like this is what i think of all the the big feelings and the big challenges that have come up in my own life i think of them as incredible teachers like cuz they're yes. either going to keep you down or you got to learn from it and grow and become a little deeper, a little broader, a little bit more compassionate for yourself and the world and in that way they're our teachers. Yes. 100% yes. Mm, this is so beautiful.
3: Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker and life coach. My podcast Make Some Noise has been serving up self-help in a simple to digest way for the last decade.
0: you have done some amazing work in your life if I'm if it's okay to switch gears a little and sure. I'm really curious I wanted to take a little bit of time to ask you some questions about that you've done some work with outward bound you've been a wilderness field instructor and done a lot of different things out in nature did did Tell us a little bit about that and tell us if, you know, to bring it back to fears, did I fe- imagine in the, some of these situations, fears came up in, in those?
1: I, I Throughout my teens and my young adult life, I did a lot of wilderness courses. Outward Bound was like a, it was a leadership training course I did way back and it was like a three and a half month trip or something. And then I led for another organization called Project Use. Um, I led a bunch of wilderness expeditions for them. And yes, fear is a huge piece. I actually remember um, before I went on my on the Outward Bound trip, my father didn't believe that I would make it three and a half months. And so it was kind of this game that we played to see if I actually could, because he thought I'd be too afraid.
0: <laughs> did, did that bring up your stubborn, like, well, watch me, buddy? Kind of I mean, yeah. <laughs> right? It right? would for me too. <laughs> totally. I mean, talk about making
1: an impression in my life, right? Um, (laughs) so, but I learned a lot, I learned a lot about dealing with fear, being out in the woods, having to work together, the woods or the desert or the sea, whatever environment we were in and having to work together as a group, um, being vulnerable with each other, taking care of each other. Um, all those, what they call soft skills, in addition to being in a harsher environment, a more natural environment, one that, um, you know, you you have less comforts in, um, you're more raw, you're more calloused, uh, you're dirtier, you smell,
0: <laughs> right? Like kind of having to literally like deal with your shit and just be real. Oh, yeah. Right? Sh- sitting in the woods now that we've said yeah. the S word. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> You've given me my <laughs> <an> explicit rating, <laughs> Rebecca Wong. I'm so
2: sorry.
0: <laughs> and I'm not.
1: I don't know. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, like there's just dealing with yourself in that kind of way and and being able to deal with other people at the same time and finding beauty in the place that you are because why else are you there? And so that was... Very much something that shaped the way that I think about the world, the way that I interact with the world, um, and just the way that I, the way I do all my work. It was also very experiential. Um, that's the wilderness learning, wilderness teaching, wilderness leading courses. It's all about experiential learning, learning from being, being and doing. I remember early on, I was teaching a young um, inner city girl from Newark, Newark, New Jersey, how to rappel off of a cliff. And just before she took her first step back, she looked at me and she smiled. She was freaking out. It took her like an hour to clip in. And she looked at me right before she went down and she goes, okay, if I can do this, I can do anything. And then she went.
0: Yes. Right? Oh my god, that's amazing! I I I have rappelled off a cliff. I've done did a little bit of rock climbing in in college, Mm -hmm. and what I noticed about fear in that moment was that the first time you know we went up this sort of seventy five foot rock face, and you know my my friend had you know they did. Anyway, they were, they had me all clipped in. I'm ready to go. The first time I go up this face, I'm like a monkey. Boom, 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 boom. I'm all the way into the thing. It was exhilarating. It was amazing. I repelled out. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Maybe I'm meant to be a rock climber. Like, oh my God. And then, then everything's cool. And then I go to do it again. And my whole body starts shaking. <laughs> like, I was in something. I didn't think I was afraid, and then it just came out of my my muscles and my yeah. It was fascinating.
1: It it can be fear is funny. Like I I once upon a time with an old boyfriend went skydiving tandem. You know, I was attached to some instructor. Um, when I by the time I landed on the ground, my entire body had broken out in hives from the adrenaline. Wow, like I I was head to toe hives. And it wasn't from diving through something.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Your body was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Never again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I hope my my
1: children never have to jump out of airplanes. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: will you tell them the story? Yes. already have. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. My my children have unfortunately heard the story about how I've I've jumped off a 75 foot bridge uh when I was a really young, dumb 14 year old. <laughs> Were you on a bungee or anything? No, just off a bridge into the ocean. And it was on a bridge where it was like two there was an it's like um with these two inlets of water. And so the water was like all moving in one direction, you know, like it, the, either the tide was going in or it was going out. I can't remember. And I'm not actually a very strong swimmer. And so it was like not so great. Once I got in the water, I was really struggling uh, to get to the shore, but, but I was I don't know. I had a real rebellious streak in me when I was a teenager. So <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think my kids have heard this story, but I don't know what to tell them about this story. Like, just don't do what I did. You know, it's like...
1: Well, you could talk about why. You could ask them like, what could have gone wrong?
0: Yeah, I could talk about that. That that would not be so good. But it was very scary. It was like, yeah. literally like one one thousand, two one oh thousand, one thousand 1,000, 1,000 through the air. <laughs>
1: Gosh, I, I, yeah, that would that would stay with me. I guess it has with you.
0: It has, it has stayed with me. Ah, the things that we do. But so you, you have done some. I've done you've some done, crazy things. You've done some things, but this, I uh, imagine some of the things you, you took away from this wilderness training and this, you know, there's the, there's the bravery, there's the learning, but uh, also uh, what I'm kind of hearing from you is like this intercon- the connecting with other people and the ascent- the essentialness of that. And I think that is so important to underline because we are bombarded with stories in our culture about the individualism and that we, you know, you think about going into the wilderness, you picture a person, we all just kind of picture a person alone going into the wilderness, which doesn't make any sense, right? Because we need each other. We do. And,
1: and we need to learn each other. We don't just need each other. We don't just need other bodies. But we need to learn, like, who's, who's good at what job and who does what well and who needs support where. Um, Because if we're going to move somewhere together as a group, and I I am imagining, um, I just came back from a family trip and we rented a camper van and we drove around Colorado and Utah and we visited a lot of national parks, one of which was Mesa Verde. And we learned a lot about ancient Pueblo people who used to be more gypsy-like and they would would travel and they would hunt and they were hunter-gatherers. And then they were on top of the mesa and they started planting corn and farming and that made them stay still more. They didn't have to go places because now they had crops that they were going to hunt and you know they were going to gather there. And so I'm just thinking about how people and cultures move and, and how we need each other. And when I was on these trips and when I was leading these trips, we really had to learn each other. Very early on, I learned that I was not a super fast hiker. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would often be one of the slowest in the group, but if I was in the very back, that was a really hard place for me to be because I would get disappointed and I'd get discouraged and I'd probably start to walk slower and then I might bring the group down. But if I was all the way at the very front, that put too much pressure on me and somewhere being like the third ish kind of person in a group of maybe eight or nine people walking, that was a good place for me. It kind of kept me motivated and I learned where I needed to be in the line. We also, as a group, learned that somebody who weighed 90 pounds maybe shouldn't carry a pack that weighed 50 pounds, while the person who weighed almost 200 pounds also carried a pack that weighed 50 pounds. Like that might be disproportionate and we might not all keep up with each other. Mm. So um, we learned to redistribute weight. And um, that helped the group, you know. So all of these little things that we learned how to do when we were traveling together helped us keep propelling forward and stay together and take care of each other and have the whole group there to take care of each of us.
0: Now, did people have, thinking about those soft skills again, did people have, you know, breakdowns? Did people yeah. get scared and they
2: get issues? Yeah. Did
0: that, that stuff happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. often, you know. And, and sometimes someone would, would leave the group.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: I thought that was discouraging for the rest
1: it it was hard and, and it had to be dealt with you know and, and it happened both when I was a student and it happened later when I was um, an instructor several times and there were times we had to send people out of the group to keep the group safe and um, those are always really difficult moments, but you know just like in life, there are moments when I'm, when i 'm working with couples where staying together isn 't always the healthiest thing that we can do, and we need to practice discernment and and keep things healthy for everyone, and sometimes that means separating.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to. I also want to have a moment to kind of jump in and ask you also about your training and your work yeah. with you mentioned clarissa Pinkola estes and i just have to fangirl on her a little bit because she is the writer um, of an amazing <laughs> book called women who run with the wolves and we'll, we'll have a link f- to it in uh, the show notes um, and i've read that book um, maybe three or four times and i've gifted it to friends and uh, I love I love this work. And, it, and maybe you can just describe it a little bit for the listener and then maybe tell us a little bit about the work that you've done with her.
1: I, I've attended some of her residential training programs and I have a sense that I'll be attending at least one a year from here forward as long as she's teaching. Um, I have found her work to be incredibly influential. What she teaches in so many different ways is how to grow an awareness over what over-culture um, oppresses us with, what, what we have um, taken into our beings, into our um, spirits, thinking that they're ours that keep us from our true self and how to um, liberate ourselves um, so that our light can really shine and that we can do um, all the beautiful healing things that we really put here on, the, on this earth to do.
0: And she, that is so true that that is what she teaches. But I just want to point out for the listener that the way she teaches that, at least in this book is through story.
1: She, (laughs) she uses story as medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And so she teaches strictly through story. It's, it's, um, story and ritual and trance work and a lot of experiential work, which is probably why I'm so drawn to her. Um, but yes, yeah, story is is the rich lifeblood of her work that then you dive into and look for meaning.
0: And for instance, some some very traditional stories that we all know. Like, doesn't she? I can't, now. Now it's been like a, a decade since I've read this book. But do, doesn't she do like a Little Red Riding conversion? I believe I, I've. I don't know which book it's
1: in, but I believe yes, she has a lot of. She has a few published um, written works, but she also has dozens of. Um, audiobooks that are published as well. So that's out there also. And we were talking before a little bit about dreams and nightmares, and she has an audiobook on helping you, like Dreams 101 or something. And Ooh. I highly recommend that for anyone who wants to start looking into their dreams and finding more meaning.
0: Oh, and Dreams 101. I can't we, remember
1: exactly what it's called. It's something
0: like that. Something like that. Okay, we'll put this, whatever it's called, into the show notes too dear listener, because I might be getting it from Amazon myself. Oh my goodness. Um, Yeah. Just, it's really fascinating to see the stories that were given and the stories that were told and the stories that we tell and and how these stories shape us. And it's really interesting. Like we kind of think of now um, the commercial and sort of the pop, versions of these stories and and it's really fascinating to kind of parse about the messages and that and like the messages are are getting better right like the messages in frozen are way better than the messages from sleeping beauty way back in the day in these sort of disney movies right um but it's really really fascinating to look back at even some of the the deeper stories i don't know if you remember any of them uh rebecca that you might be able to share some of the some of the um older versions I'm putting you on the spot oh, I realize.
1: to share some stories like what Dr. E would talk about,
0: yeah,
1: well,
2: let's see
1: um, There's this one story I've brought home with me. it's it's um kind of ingrained in my heart. I brought it home from one of the trainings I've attended with her, and i'll I'll share a short version of it i'll I'll preface this to say that she shared this story with us over about five days mm. and um, I'm going to probably share it with you in about five minutes. So it's going to be a very different version.
0: Condensed <laughs> readers digest here yeah. on the mindful mama. Podcast. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> but so it's a story that I believe is called the boy in the loon and the premise of the story or just the thing to keep in mind is that all of the characters in this story represent parts of your ego. Mm. So the the story is about um this boy um who I, I believe this is an Inuit family and this boy lives with um with his mother and his grandmother and his father has recently died, his father was a hunter, and the boy is an excellent hunter and he has a, he's an amazing aim with a bow and an arrow and he can pretty much get anything. And he brings home so much bounty that his mother and his grandmother get really frustrated because they have to keep cleaning and cooking all these carcasses. And it's um, so much work and they're really lazy. So they plot against him. (laughs) And um, one night while he's sleeping, his mother rubs some rancid whale fat in his eyes and the boy goes blind.
0: Oh, gosh. Ouch! Yeah, Not not a great mothering tip that we're going to endorse here. (laughs)
1: but remember this is all parts of our ego right so Mm -hmm. in this case this is a boy who's losing his sight
3: Mm.
1: and how is he losing his sight right so these are the parts of the story that we're we're digesting and we're making sense out of as she teaches Mm -hmm. and so some time goes on and mom and grandma are trying to do the hunting now because the boy's not able to see and they're not doing very well. And so everybody's kind of wasting away and they're all getting really thin and mom and grandma can't keep doing this. So they plot again and they decide, you know, we'll take him out, into the, take him out and we'll help him aim and he can hunt for us. And so they do this and um, they tell him where to aim and he fires his, his arrow and uh, he hears a thud. And he says, did I get it? And they say, no, 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 that wasn't it. You just hit a tree or something. And he's like, sure, because he knows how the ground vibrated and he knows what he heard and it feels like he did, but they said no. And so they all go back to their camp and he's still starving. They're giving him scraps of something and they're getting fatter, but he can't see. And one day he's out wandering about and um, he hits his head on a rock and he's like out and all of these other kind of animals come over and they're circling around him and they're thinking about preying on him and then this loon comes in and just kind of pokes on his head and the boy kind of moves a little bit and all the animals see that he's actually still alive and he's not really there to be preyed on in that moment and they all leave except for the loon this must be a magical loon because the loon starts talking to him or at least this is what he experiences <clears throat> and the loon says to him um you know, I, I can help you here. I can help you understand. I can help you see again. Do you want that? And the boy says, yes, yes, I really want that. And the loon says, well, okay, this isn't going to be easy. Like you're, you really have to commit to this and you can't, you know, there's going to be times where it feels like you can't breathe and there's going to be times where you just feel like you can't do this anymore, but you, you have to stay with it. Can you commit to that? And the boy says, yeah, 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 I can do that. I, I want to see again. So the loon says, okay, hop on my back. And the boy hops on the loon's back and the loon flies all the way up into the sky, like super, super high. And the boy is starting to feel faint. He's wiggling on the on the loon and he's saying, hold on, loon, I, I can't anymore. And the loon says, just a second more. And just before the boy passes out, the loon dives down and below them there's a lake. And the loon dives deep into the lake and the boy is... Struggling to maintain his breath, to hold his breath, and he wiggles on the loon again. And just before he loses consciousness, the loon hops out of the water, and the boy slides off of his back on the land. And the loon says, Tell me what you can see. Mm. And the boy looks around and he says, Oh, there's a few mountain ranges. And at the second mountain range, I can see an eagle on the top of the cliff who, oh, look, the bird, the the eggs in her nest are just hatching now, and the other eagle is going to get some worms, and the loon shakes his head and says, nobody's allowed to see that, good. Come on, we got to go again. So the boy's protesting, but the eagle says, we have to, and so they go again, and just like before, I'm sorry, the loon, Mm -hmm. the loon goes all the way up into the sky until the boy practically loses, loses consciousness, all the way down into the lake until he loses consciousness, back up onto land, what can you say? And the boy looks around and everything is fuzzy. He can't really see anything. He's totally disappointed. And the loon says, let's do it one more time. And the boy says, no, I'd rather not. I'm fine. I'm done. I don't need to do this anymore. This is going to kill me. And the loon says, nope, you committed. Let's go. And the boy gets onto the loon's back and they go up and they go down just like the last two times. And they come back onto the shore and the boy looks around and he says, I can't see the eagle's nest. And the loon says, what else can you see? And he looks around and he sees these two figures. And they're really, really fat. There's a lot of food stacked up near them. And he realizes it's his mother and his grandmother and that's their camp. Mm. So now he can see. Mm. And he can see his life. Mm. And it's early dawn and he sneaks back in and he goes to bed. And he thinks he's going to pretend so that his mother and his grandmother don't know that he can see yet. Mm -hmm. And at just the right time the next day, he says something that lets them know he can see. And they're all surprised. And then he binds them together. He ties the two of them together. He binds them together. And he says, you will stay this way until you're a normal size again, until you're back in moderation. Mm. And so this is the story about the boy and the loon. But all of these characters are parts of our own self, the parts of our self...
0: Give me a chance to like figure it out. Can uh, I? Yeah, please. Do. <laughs> like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the boy, the the mother and the grandmother are. They were kind of dependent on him, but they were also kind of they they didn't want to do the work. Like it, there was there was too much coming in from him. So he was like he was like what was going out into the world and gathering information or gathering sustenance and all these things in the world, but it was too much for them. So they wanted to like cut, cut that off, which is like the, the blinding of him. And, but that, that wasn't healthy. So I'm trying, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like saying it out loud as I kind of work it out. Um, but then I was thinking about him kind of flying up into the air and going down into the water. Like I was wondering if like going up into the air is like getting a great perspective in some ways or a great freedom. And under the water is like under the unconscious, like diving deep into the unconscious, like cause sometimes doesn't that represent that? So I don't know. So fill me in what's, what's happening. There's so many different,
1: there's probably so 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 much. much We can't, it would take forever.
3: Like I said,
1: we we dissected this over five or six days. right? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but there, there's so much here and everything that you've said is a great beginning. It yeah. all fits. And you know, the, the other part that I would add is that we all go through things where we feel like we can't, right? Like that's, yeah. that's my word. I heard yeah. that earlier, right? Yeah. And it's, it's as we're getting to that point, right? Just before we pass out, we think we can't. And sometimes we have mm-hmm. to try things many, many times. Dr. Estes often shares her book, Women Who Run With The Wolves, which is having its 25th year of publication this year. mm mm-hmm was rejected from publishers 40 times.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's a lot.
1: (laughs) Right? So, like, where where do we get these messages? And, and, you know, think about the mother and the grandmother in this case too, but where do we get these messages about what we can't do? Mm. Right? And how do we learn to see again? How do we learn to see what we're capable of doing? And then to bring those things back into moderation.
0: Mm. Yeah. The grandmother and the mother were like they're they're fearful, right? Like they want they're they're kind of fear, right? Like cuz they're just wanting to be safe and, and lazy. Lazy. <laughs> yeah. And and
1: yeah, you know, they want all the things but they don't want to have to do any work for it.
0: Yeah. Not
1: that there's any of those parts within me, but
0: <laughs> No, none of us. None of us <laughs> not sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love these stories. I'm yeah. going to be like picking this part for yeah. the rest of the week. So
1: know? this one used to be in one of her, <laughs> she used to have it published in one of her, um, in one of her audiobooks that was geared towards men, but I think it's out of print and you can't find it anywhere. Um, but if anybody can, I'd love to know where, but I heard her tell this one. And so I'm retelling off memory.
0: Mm, This is wonderful. Oh my gosh, Rebecca Wong, I could just talk to you for a long time about all this stuff. Clearly, we both enjoy geeking out um, on some of the same topics. (laughs) Pleasure to talk to you, Hunter. I look forward to talking to you again. Yes, yes. First, you know where can people find you? Connectfulness.com, right? Yeah. And and your podcast is also called Connectfulness.
1: Yeah. And there's a tab for it over there on the website and it's on all the different podcasting platforms.
0: So check out check out Rebecca. I'm sure she has sparked your interest and curiosity, dear listener. And and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom, uh, what you have, you know, all these different things you've learned and gathered, and through so many different ways and means, and and sifting them through your own heart and mind. It's really. Um, a great gift to all of us. I really, really appreciate this time, Rebecca. Thank you, Hunter. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. I love Rebecca, and I could just talk to her for hours. I want to hear all the stories from Clear Serpentola Estes, etc. I love that we can heal backwards and forwards and generations yes 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 absolutely absolutely i am in perfect agreement of that ah oh, so beautiful so remember if you are listening in real time we are launching raising good humans my book you can it's available for pre-sale now at raising good and maybe you can join us for some more of the amazing interviews with Raising Good Humans Live and that's RaisingGoodHumansBook.com slash live and these buying the book coming to the live event these are ways that you can be a supporter of this podcast so if you are learning from the podcast and you like the podcast um you know sharing it with your friends is another amazing way to support but a great way to support would be to buy the book and to connect with me personally um through the work uh the maybe the membership or the live events any of those things we're doing so i hope you we, we will connect I want a little selfie picture someday. Wouldn't that be fun? I love that idea. I am wishing you a beautiful week. I am wishing you some peace, healing, and joy. And I'll be working on that too. Yeah. Working on it together. Making little steps every day, bit by bit. And just know that as you create more peace in yourself, you do... Create more peace for all of us. So, thank you so much for listening. Namaste. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs>